Hello and welcome to Manageable Conversations, the podcast where we speak to leaders across industry sectors. In each episode, we discover what helped them in their career, how they stay sharp, and their tips for managers to get the best from their teams. I'm Farley Thomas, the co-founder of Manageable. We hope this podcast inspires you to be a great leader by learning from others. As far as possible, be as true to yourself as, for as much of the time as you possibly can. They like have a really good inner dialogue and inner understanding because I think that consistency of how you turn up creates a stability of the relationships you're then generating and enjoying, hopefully, with the people that you're managing because they know the individual and they know who they're going to be interacting with every day rather than variations of. That's Twink Field, CEO and founder of White Marble, a marketing consulting firm serving asset and wealth management clients worldwide. In this episode, Twink recalls what good and bad management felt like early on in her career, the value of self-reflection as a leader, how functions like marketing can make their voices heard within organizations, and ways to develop a high-performance culture. Twink, it's fantastic to have you on the show. Thank you very much for joining me. Great to be here, Farley. Thanks for inviting me. I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you are as a leader, you know, your leadership style, if you will. I think that's evolved over time, actually. I think, you know, when I was working in-house and leading teams, I actually got quite influenced by the environment of the companies I was kind of working in and leading in and observing and absorbing other styles and then the opportunity to lead in a different way when I set up White Marble, a business I set up nine years ago nearly, really kind of created a freedom in me to kind of find my own style and so I think that's been something that's changed and evolved over time and I've kind of learned by mistakes of what hasn't influenced or sort of motivated people as well as things that have worked and some of those things have been from conversations we've had kind of testing ideas but ultimately I look to try and create a balance in terms of collaboration and direction you know sort of look for soundings from the business and and work with my own instincts as well and uh, an experience to sort of come to a sort of strong view and um, hopefully some direction to sort of bring everybody coalesce everybody behind. What sorts of things help you stay resilient stay in that the the challenge of leadership? I think I've tried to build and flex a muscle of of actually taking a breath, just taking, just trying not, try to step back from being impulsive in any way, trying to understand my own reaction or motivation so that I'm uh, able to rationalize better. I think the difficult, you know, I was told something about you know, it's very hard to rationalize the emotional. And I think I try to get my, if I am feeling heady or what have you in something, I try to manage that. I try to manage myself in order to ensure better decisions and and better motivations for the team so that it's not seen to be too much of a knee-jerk reaction. And I, I find that helps me, not least because I then don't act or say something that I then later regret. So I just try to take a breath, take make sure I'm understand where I'm at before making the decision. Mm. Pivoting a bit to people around you, what sorts of things from your experience um, makes for a good manager? What are you looking for? Or what are you, what are you um, steering your people in the direction of to be the best managers they can be? Um, I think always working with the principle that typically everybody people want to do a good job very few people are turning up every day going 
I'm not going to try and I can't be bothered. You know, I just don't, I don't, I work off the principle that most people want to excel, they want to grow, they want to do a good job, all the right intentions are there. And so to start with that mindset every time rather than predisposed to something that's gone wrong and, um, and come down heavy or what have you. I think it's also imperative that there's a constant touch point. So you're not just crashing in to sort of have a conversation with somebody when something's gone awry, but there's sort of you're through the journey with somebody in terms of when they're on a high and when they're on a low. And, and then you're also able to better understand where they are um, in terms of that sort of career journey and personal journey. And, and you're able to sort of see the distinct sort of, or distinguish between when they're having a great week or whether there's maybe something distracting them or something going on in the background. I think the constant touch point, short, open, collaborative, are really important to really know where somebody's at. Yeah, if if my memory serves me right, Twink, you've worked in the whole range of organizations from quite big global organizations to smaller ones. Is there anything about the size, effect and management that comes to mind? Yeah, I think it's interesting how in smaller businesses, I, I, I think what I'm acutely aware of is that often the, the founder and the leader has a, a mark, an exaggerated influence on the culture and the performance of the team. And that's not to say in the bigger companies, you know, within teams there are obviously very strong leaders and influence, big influences on, on those parts of the business. But there's a sort of, there's a sort of broader context in which that's set, which is can be either helpful or putting, depending on what the wider environment's like. In a smaller business, there's may, yes, as I say, the influence of the leader or founder is more pronounced, which, um, I think with the right leader can be really motivating and with the wrong one can be quite destructive. And I, I've um, certainly tried to be the uh, the former and I have definitely lived in businesses that have got had the latter. In one business, actually, I had two different um, managers myself, one that was very volatile and I was relatively young and I kind of thought that that's what management looked like. I kind of thought that's what a manager was, you know, this very domineering, demanding individual. But then later in that business, there was um, another senior manager that came in who had a completely different style. And it really blew my mind, actually, as to sort of that being just so effective, being quiet and, and having a much more of a listening style, allowing everybody to have an opinion and then coming in later to sort of fill in the gaps or, or uh, help sort of coalesce around a decision. Um, and that really felt like the bookends of my of my experience just in that small business, which, you know, I def- definitely carry with me and, and sort of cognizance of. Mm. What you just summarized, Manager 2, landed with me like a great advert for a coaching style of, of management and leadership. Maybe I could um, invite you to comment on your leadership team or people that are around you, you know, driving the business. Each of them are really different and um, have different styles and different specialisms and different ways of communicating. And so I think that's important instead of understanding that and what their passions are and how they like to contribute and where they want to contribute. And so I'm, I'm conscious of the dynamics. I'm also conscious that I don't need to be in every conversation that they're having either. You know, just make sure that the four of us don't have to move all together, all in sync all the time. But if we are constantly talking between us together and independently, then, you know, we're all very aware, like the left arm is 
kind of in sync with the right arm. So I'm really conscious of being high performing, high functioning. And this is a team that does that. I, I genuinely feel like that. And I don't, as ever, I mean, it takes quite a long time to get to and refine and get to a point where the leadership team are really in tune, in sync, aligned and really dig in together. I think, you know, also the last few years, it has been really challenging and you really I think any cracks that had existed between us would have been blown wide open over the kind of the kind of the stresses and the pressures of leading a business that's very focused on the team and the happiness of the team and the culture in the business and making sure that we keep that ship sailing as smoothly as possible. What's your take on marketing you know positioned as part of the leadership as one of the leadership voices within within businesses. So, you know, tips for getting your voice heard. And is marketing, for some reason, less heard than other functions that come to mind, for example, like sales? I would say that actually company to company, the, the culture they have, and frankly, the opinion of the CEO on the influential role of marketing really does uh, have a huge impact as to how far marketing can flex. But there, there has been a seismic shift on that. And, and obviously part of that was through the pandemic. And we saw real leadership coming through from those businesses in terms of how they were able to innovate and transform and lead through that period. And I think it was a, a real moment where you saw the real talent emerge that had maybe had been there for a while that was then given the springboard, given the opportunity to, to really lean in. And mostly, I think that um, people have held that ground and continue to, to grow from there. Working with the C-suite, the dynamic and the relationship between the CEO and the CMO has never been better and stronger. Not least because, as I say, you know, marketing was absolutely there at the shoulder when that, that was necessary during the pandemic. Also the focus around sustainability, trying to drive real authenticity around that how that relates to your brand strategy, how that relates to the sort of how the CEO is going to be principled and, and, and voice their stance on this. So really helping businesses transform and be relevant to investors and communicate in a way that is clear and credible. You know, marketing is absolutely spearheading that. And I would actually say that to your point around, you know, the power base that investments and sales have within within these organizations clearly that's not going away anytime soon but i would suggest that your product and your your sort of relationships to sort of routes to market are pretty well understood and probably not that differentiating where we're seeing real differentiation now is actually in the departments that have never really been muscular or visible hr it marketing are now absolutely leading the way in terms of you know being able to compete on your people being able to you know, really embed technology and ensure that you have a culture and a mindset to embrace that, as well as all that I've talked about from marketing perspective, the kind of culture and the brand, sustainability, digital journeys, etc. If you are not empowering and embracing and shifting those three departments in your business forward, I don't think you're really going to compete in, you know, in this day and age. And so we absolutely have seen a shift and it's, and it's and exciting, but not everybody has kind of seen that system shock come through yet. Yes. And if, if you're in one of those functions that's not yet there, are there a few best practices or tips you'd have for the function heads if they feel frustrated that they're not being heard or they're not there yet? So a couple of things. I would say root it in data and root it in performance. So and, and understand 
what success looks like for that particular stakeholder. What do they need to see to really change or transform a view of marketing? By understanding that, then then you can create a strategy to then sort of change and evolve their mindset. Often we talk about just doing a pilot campaign so that you can kind of just work on something that they feel doesn't matter if it blows up. <laughs> you know, that if you're not able to work with the whole CRM, work with just the sort of tail end of, you know, people that have been dormant for 12, 18 months and then say, look, this is what we can do. We can be commercial. We can be strategic. You know, we're, we have all the skills, all the technology, all the talent to be able to really evolve this function to be much more of a leading edge. And I think start small, understand what your stakeholders find meaningful and also talk them through your plan and the strategy. Don't have isolated projects that kind of don't feel related and you're going back time and time again with another ask. I think it's important anyway to understand how everything relates, explain how it relates, what they need to do in order to make that happen, and then what you're going to deliver and you'll then go back with the results. Yeah, I think that's great, Twink, because you're setting out the formula which takes us far away from entitlement and very close to, you know, argue the merit. Yeah, I would also just, it just comes to mind that a lot of the increasingly important stuff as we see it is actually about breaking down silos in a business and there aren't that many parts of your business that are pretty good at that you know actually some quite like living in the silo and they have no interest in breaking them down whereas i would say that marketing in order to deliver on some of the priorities of your business are having to work really hard with stakeholders across your business to make sure that your client experience is fantastic that your brand is well understood internally and externally all of that transversal working, I think, is so fundamental to success. And I, and I think marketing have a lot of the natural skills and, and necessity of the kind of projects they're working on to make that happen. Thanks for that, Twink. Turning back to you and, and White Marble, looking forward six, 12 months, what sorts of things are you resolved to work on in order to improve your organisational culture unless you're going to tell me now that it's exactly where it should be oh i think there are always things to work on always things to work on well no it's interesting i mean we, we have done we've done a culture audit in our little business we are very transparent in the playback of that we do we do pulse surveys the whole time and i and i think we have a good i'd like to think you know that we have a good feel for the stuff that needs working on the stuff that's working and we have to work hard to make sure that our team understand how we differentiate versus maybe an alternative role elsewhere. And I think, you know, the communication of that and the transparency of what we're doing, I think is really important. Of course, you live and die by that. You know, you, you can't just decide to be transparent this month and not the, the following. And, um, and it means a real candor and also maturity that of, on all sides, really, to understand the feedback, the playback and what we're doing and what we're trying to change. Uh, you know, some of the things will be, you know, around around the sort of more professional development of our team and to kind of ensuring that they're really clear on their individual paths, that we continue to invest in the environment that they're working in as well, that it's a place they want to be and work in, that, you know, we're building, you know, sort of in some more of a mentoring program and more, I guess, diversity across different projects that people are involved in. So that, again, you get that broader spectrum and exposure to different projects and um, different disciplines across the marketing spectrum. So, yeah, enriching, I think enriching the employee experience continues to be a real focus for us. Um, you know, and trying as much as we can to marry that with 
you know, competitive, competitive financial packages. To end with, Twink, if you were hiring a manager, what would you, and they asked you for, the, for your top tip based on, on, on all of your experience, what's the, what's the first thing that comes to mind that you would advise them to do from day one? Well, I was going to say, listen, and be human. And as far as possible, be as true to yourself as, for as much of the time as you possibly can. Like have a really good inner dialogue and inner understanding, because I think that consistency of how you turn up creates a stability of the relationships you're then generating and enjoying, hopefully, with the people that you're managing, because they know the individual and they know who they're going to be interacting with every day rather than variations of. Yeah, and I can hear the link with that manager from from old, who you characterized as quite volatile. And it's interesting that, you know, you're really prizing some consistency and stability for the sake of the team's well-being um, and performance. Well, yeah, I think if you're not distracted by what's going on around you and who, how you're going to be perceived by this person or received by that person, if you're not distracted by that and you're unshackled by these things that can ultimately get heavy, then you, ultimately you just then can have the clarity to go into your job with the freedom that I think otherwise you wouldn't have. You know, you're sort of having to to defend against this and protect against that and anticipate something else. I think if you can try and as much as possible, remove as much as that, then of that as, as you can, then I think you can really enable people to perform. That sounds really good, Twink. I wanted to thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. It's been brilliant. I've loved talking to you, Farley, as always. If you enjoyed this manageable conversation, there are many other perspectives we offer our community of managers worldwide who coach and individuals from all walks of life who benefit from being coached. That's all from me. I'm Farley Thomas. Until next time.